0: Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz.
1: I'm Sarah Willis. I'm Sam Elberth.
0: I'm Daniel Morbach. Today on the show, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and not the M. Night (laughs) Shyamalan version. That's the one we will not talk about. I don't even know what you're
1: talking about. That doesn't exist.
0: That does not exist. (laughs) Not exist at all. It, uh, we're talking about the show that was released in 2005. The show that won five Annie Awards, a Genesis Award, a Primetime Emmy, a Kids' Choice Award, and a Peabody. So we want to stick to talking about the the stuff surrounding it, since we do have a Netflix project that's kind of still going forward without the uh, previous showrunners um, who've walked off uh, because of creative differences. But my first question is. What makes this series, the story so popular? It's just really good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the end. Uh, thanks that's for all, the podcast. That's all the, time we have for today.
0: <laughs> the pub is produced no.
1: <laughs> I when I talk about this show, not only is it one of the best cartoons I've ever watched, but I think it's one of the single best pieces of media I've ever encountered.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: It, it is such an God, where do you even begin? The animation is great. The characters are great. The tales are timeless. The, um, the attention to detail as far as the real cultures that it, it picks up from um, the lessons, the the subjects it encounters in a way that is digestible for kids and still resonates with uh, an older audience, everything it seeks out to do. It does fantastically. I, it, I have not encountered many works that I can say do that.
2: I I think on a storytelling level, it has some of the absolute best world building that you're ever going to find. And from a human standpoint, you have characters that are complex and... Relatable and particularly emotionally relatable. All all the core characters have a a range of emotion, and it's presented in such a way where I think anybody who either intuits those emotions or can actually identify and is experienced enough to relate those emotions, uh, you can kind of look at it and go, I know what they're going through. Um, And they don't just show one emotion at a time they, you know, the, the show acknowledges that rage can be wrapped up with sadness and happiness can be wrapped up with elation. And now I'm just rambling, but yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I know what you mean though. It, it, it tackles really sophisticated ideas in a way that kids will not find boring or it won't go over their heads. And it also doesn't dumb them down.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about you?
1: One thing that
3: I was thinking about with this question is it's, it's not gendered. Like a lot of cartoon shows, I'm studying to be an animator. And we talk a lot about like audience and, and especially with kid shows, you have to do so many screenings and, and see if kids are going to like respond to them well. And that they gender them a lot just so that they can, obviously gender the toys that go with them and everything like that. But it, the characters in the show, like it never feels like just because it's an action show, it's catered to little boys or it's too girly, whatever that means or whatever. It, it really feels like it. it's for everyone. So.
0: I like the fact that it owns so many things and then it pokes fun at itself. So for example, Aang is probably the most, uh, a parent example, and I actually teach him as the traditional hero in my literature classes, and he embodies all the qualities that we might associate with what is good and just in the world. He won't even eat meat, right? Um, so he is uh, he is the good guy, right? Um, but the show calls attention to that. It 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 embraces it at the same time that Aang will talk about himself in a way that he acknowledges that he's a weirdo for not eating meat, right? Or you'll have Kitara, you know, someone saying like Toph saying something about Kitara, um, and then Kitara saying something like Not that I am a very controlling, overbearing, (laughs) older sister, you know, like, and that she's describing herself exactly, right? And so the show at the same time that it's shamelessly um, deals with the sort of traditional ideas that we associate with a lot of uh, archetypal characters, it also through its own narrative kind of pokes fun at them. And I think that's super sophisticated.
3: Yeah. And, and even with like the archetype characters, I mean, I feel like you could box most of the main characters into like, into those types, like Aang as the, as the hero type. But like you said, he also like breaks that because I feel like he's such a unique character for, as like a young boy in an action movie that he's also like super gentle and he, he's a pacifist and all those things. And he's still a strong character. He's not like the weak kid or whatever.
0: He's what we as want our sons to grow up like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you know that's what a, a man should be. That's what I think. And he's what twelve. Yeah. Right? I mean that's... <laughs> yes. You know he, he he's one hundred and twelve. Right. He's one hundred twelve. <laughs> right. Um. He's what we would what we should uh, hope that we evolve into. Well, it really is this sort of. Uh, boy-to-man
2: story it's a it's a clear-cut yet, a complex and very layered boy-to-man story that he's got to complete in three months which is kind of crazy
1: It never feels rushed though which is crazy yeah. like aim day one of that series versus like where they go with that story it is absolutely amazing that the timeline in the actual universe and what they do with that set amount of episodes the arc they're able to accomplish, I just—I'll never get over it.
0: Yeah, it's paced wonderfully, <laughs> right? Um, and, and they allow enough time for an equally complex and maybe maybe somebody whose story we find even more interesting is Zuko's story. You know, the evolution of Zuko in that in that arc is phenomenal. I think he
2: is—he has the best arc of either series i think he has one of the best arcs of any piece of uh, fiction i have ever read it's it could be zuko's story like it it is that fantastic
1: yeah just the it's hard to pull off a perfect redemption arc yeah (laughs) not feel make it feel like it's kind of shoehorned but Mm -hmm.
2: i think what really sets it apart is that season two finale where you kind of know in season one it's like okay this he's he's probably gonna become a good guy and then when the stakes are down and it's like he's got to make a decision he's like i want my honor i want my family i want to go back home i I want all of it and you know an inferior story would have skipped that and just had him go Mm
3: -hmm.
2: all right well i'm going to save the avatar because i've 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 had a couple weeks to think about it but by giving him everything that he's been fighting for all these years he now has to confront having it and like a reaction to that and a value system to that and realizing oh i didn't realize how absolutely terrible my family is and even besides that what choices have i been making and then he has to redeem himself from the choice not the choice to stay on the path, not just being on the path.
0: And, and, you know, that the moment before another in conjunction with what I was saying before the moment before he, he goes and sort of, uh, submits himself before the group to join them. (laughs) Uh, there are so many moments in that show that I love those little reflective nervous moments from, from all of the characters, right. Where they talk out loud, they have a sort of monologue and it comes off as funny, right? And, and endearing.
1: He, so, and endearing. endearing.
0: Yeah. And, and he even, all of the characters do impressions of other characters, right? <laughs> and so, he even does his little impression yeah. of Iroh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those moments are, those moments of vulnerability and weakness, they just appear throughout the entire series. And I think they, they're, they're some of the most memorable. And some of the most lovable, I think, of the entire yeah, show. Just a
2: moment of, right?
0: of appreciation for Iroh, who is just one of the best
2: characters. Yep. I
3: was going to say, yeah. His relationship with Zuko is like so, it's like one of my favorite relationships. And I always felt like Iroh's kind of like the fans, how the fans feel throughout, because from like season one, like you said, you're rooting for him. Like you can already sense he's not a total villain. So you're kind of with Iroh, like you you need to like look within yourself, you need to like figure this out. And then when he betrays Iroh, it like really feels like a betrayal to like the fans. The fans are like, yeah. No. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And that's why it's so good when they come back the together hug. at the end. Oh, the hug. Yeah. The hug.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the hug, yes. I, I, the I mean, hug the D V D commentaries, uh, the creators uh said they got a they read a f- fan message on a message board or something that said, I really don't like the last airbender. It's not my show, but Iroh is the single greatest character ever. It's like, yeah. that was the best compliment we could get. Somebody who doesn't even like the show just acknowledges how great Iroh is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next question I had is what does, what is this, the fact that it's so beloved, what does this say about us? We, in another podcast, we talk about antiheroes and the way we revel right, in the sort of um, unheroic hero who's willing to do by all means necessary, right, um, and how that's super popular right now, right, in, um, in film, in literature. This doesn't really do that, right, um, and yet it's incredibly, incredibly popular. What does that say about us or what did it say about the viewers at the time? Maybe we're just
2: longing for some optimism through all of it and and not an ironic optimism where some dumb kid comes in and is like, "Uh, the day's going to be great at the end of the day. I can just feel it. It's like, no, you, you want somebody who actually like believes it and they're not an idiot and you want that part of yourself. You you want uh, John Krasinski to give you some good news, and you just want to feel good about the world, and and feel justified in feeling go- good about the world.
1: Yeah, the idealized hero's journey that feels deserved, and it doesn't come off as hokey, and it's as even though it's like total like optimism, super idealized, it just still seems so genuine.
3: Yeah. I For, for me, one thing, I mean, obviously like all the characters and relationships and everything are like so powerful in it, but I also just like the theme across the whole thing of like, they, they really earn it. Like the, you see the characters working really hard throughout the whole thing. And I, it just, something about it just like feels so earned and just the message of like working hard to get somewhere. I've always really loved, and like self betterment, I guess mm-hmm. and like meditation, like the power in that, and like really finding like a peace within yourself, just I feel like that's always very powerful, and especially in twenty twenty is maybe why it's like everyone reconnected with it,
0: but it's it it it's never fallen this is a this is a show that still has a one hundred percent rating. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, the characters we are most fascinated with, you know, the Dexters, the Negans, you know, all, all we seem to be in a lot of ways obsessed with the Punisher, right? These sort of characters that are not, sometimes not just amoral, but immoral, right? And yet this show has, you know, the, the buzz about the Netflix show is phenomenal because we still, there's something about that. There's something I think there's something in us like Daniel saying, maybe we just want that idealism. We crave it. We, we sort of need it. Um, is that it? I mean, is it, is it that we've hit such a low point that for us, we need, you know, uh, uh to be uplifted or. Well, if it's about why it's
2: seeing a resurgency. Well, gestures at everything. Maybe like, yeah, we could use some optimism. As far as, but that's more like present tense. Twenty 2020, twenty, twenty twenty one. It's it's been a rough patch, right? But I think it goes deeper than that. It's it's endured since it premiered, and I think as people discovered it mid run or discovered it uh, after its run, um, it's it's not just twenty twenty. It's like the 21st century yeah. and even before that, I I think we're, we're surrounded with anxiety and paranoia and we keep being told that the world's coming to an end and we just, maybe we just want a smiling 12 year old boy to swoop in and punch the bad guy and, and be like, there, like, you no, know, the, the day really is going to be okay. Like put a smile on your face and, or, maybe more appropriately you know there's going to be trials and adversities but you 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 got to stay optimistic because the only way out is through and it's the optimism that's going to get you through it not getting angry at the world and hitting it harder it's find a way around it
1: it's like you were asking about the allure of anti-heroes when we were talking about that in our episode and i had said there was something satisfying in watching someone buck the system because there's some um a perception of the system being against us i think on the flip side with avatar the fact that he doesn't have to compromise his values in order to be triumphant is even more satisfying it will be eternally satisfying
3: yeah and i i think it's too because it's it's not oh it's it is like the perfect hero story, but it's not like everything came easy to like the main characters. They did deal with like a bunch of like failed battles and setbacks and things like that. And he he kind of saved the world like on the due date, like the day it was going to end. Yeah, he <laughs> he, he, he procrastinated a lot, <laughs> but it, it just it works because you, you get to <laughs> see it.
1: That's how I think he accomplished so much
3: in three months. I can't do that in as much. I don't know how that
1: happened. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that each character too is not perfect that you have Aang dealing with the fact that he ran away from his problems and he blames himself for like the genocide of his peoples and and not being there for when the war started. Katara has her whole um, aborted revenge story with her closure with the death of her mother. Um, you know, we see, um, Saka deal with like his internalized, um, you know, misogyny and this is, I, I can't believe a children's show tackles subjects like this in the way that it does.
0: So I think a couple of things, I think, um, the sort of racial unrest tension and the story of the, the fire nation sort of purifying the rest of the world, um resonates with us that age old story of imperialism, right? Um will always kind of resonate. The differences between one tribe and the next it, politically for us, probably now, is more pertinent than it has been in the past, but it is is a theme that we've always struggled with, right. Um and the other thing that you know I, I thought about. Uh, Or a couple of things. First, I think that it has all of the the ideals that we want to to pass on. Right? We want we want our children to be like to be as thoughtful and as caring um, as the as the characters in the show, even though we know they're flawed. Right? You know, the flaws are sort of underscored there. In the end, we want them to sort of uh, do the right thing and understand why they're doing the right thing. So the reflection, I think, in the show is we're thinking on the, the sort of family unit term as a parent. You know, I think about that. And then uh, w- one of the things I think today resonates in- incredibly is in this, in this day and age where it's so hard to decipher fact like we've rejected the idea of the fact, on television and in the news, and we don't own anything, right? And so, the uh, you know the 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 tragedy of the storms and people dying in Texas. The governor says that it's the Green New Deal that's the reason why, which never passed, right? So this deflection, this nobody owning anything. Right, And I think that, at least for me, watching that show again with my son over the last few months, we have a whole cast of characters that own everything. They come to terms with who they are. And they don't, even though they try and run away from it by the end of that ser- series, the most admirable quality, and I think that one of the qualities that resonates most um, highly with our contemporary sensibility right now, and what we long for more than anything is the fact that these people know who they are by the end, and that and they are all, they all are flawed and they own those flaws
1: especially with Zuko and not only owning his own flaws and his own mistakes but then taking on the mantle of the mistakes and flaws of his entire nation.
2: Yeah, that doesn't mm-hmm. get uh, really. Uh, explore it as much as the series can explore it but the fact that he turned on his king essentially and his father and deconstructed the entire government basically and really had to own all the the well as dean said the the truth of just how horrible the whole system was
1: and there's a lot of like nod to the camera with Fire Nation like in that episode where Aang has to go back to Fire Nation school and try to blend in and he realizes (laughs) they're all being taught a revised history. Yeah. And they really believe that what they're doing is right.
0: Yeah. And his his simple acceptance of the other kids as kids. Yep. Not Fire Nation kids, right? The whole Footloose parody episode (laughs) where they have a dance in the cave. Right, um, hey Hotman, you know the whole thing uh-huh. that he's doing throughout that um, is all done sort of really well, and I I think the Zuko story is something we also crave in a um in a in a political environment today that is such a craven place um to dwell. We don't have anyone who seems to be standing up you know, and speaking out of, out of turn, it's such a rare quality, you know, um, and you're, uh, you're punished to such a degree for doing that. I'm thinking about people like Liz Cheney, right. Who's stands up and says, I do making a choice, a conscious choice to speak out against the former president. And she's censured by the, the Republicans in her state they were voted to remove her from power for it. Um, these, these are qualities that I think in the past we may have said were admirable. Um, now there's this you know, punishment. You'll, she'll get primaried, right? And this, this you know, we have a character in Zuko that wins when he does that, wins it all, right? Um, and I think a lot of you know, a lot of everyday people are just tired of the the politics of today and you know in in this story they see something hopeful
3: Mm -hmm. yeah especially the ending like you said when Zuko takes over at the end and now he has this whole weight of all of these horrible mistakes that his country's made in the past yeah I love the ending episode like it's only like the last five minutes when they're in the tea shop and after like the whole speech and everything, I just, I love that little chunk of time so much because you can, you can sense that there's so much work to do. Like it's not over, but there's just like a lot of healing to do. Yeah, And I feel like that also really is something we feel today.
0: Yeah. I think so too. So on a lighter note, what do we think of the Netflix project now that,
1: that's not a lighter note no it's a darker note
0: well I mean we can make fun of things
1: that's true (laughs) I just uh what in the heck could the people at Netflix have possibly done to make the showrunners leave like what what do we think they have truly fucked up
2: maybe maybe they insisted everybody be minors and they're like no we can hire like Sokka at 18 because hiring minors is a freaking nightmare for TV no, 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 no. We need minors for everybody. I don't know.
1: I maybe could have been hopeful that it was something in that realm, except for the letters released by um, the creators saying that they they could no longer be involved because what was being created, they could not stand by as like an artistic vision, that they could not be associated with it. And I'm like, there's just no way that there's anything bureaucratic about that. It's got to be a big departure
2: so so i'm going to use that as a segue is what what are we best case scenario with this series what are what are we really wanting from this do we want like a this is season two episode seven we're gonna do a shot for shot redo of the episode or do we want a remix because honestly the the cartoon exists I'd, i'd be more interested if they Mix it up, like let's see new things from new angles. I want to appreciate the same ideas just in a different way that that would be my position and if
1: I agree, but my confidence flags
2: but my confidence flags are are very much in question. Don't get me wrong, but if for example, maybe it was the creators who were like. No, we we want like a shot for shot remake, and Netflix is like that sounds boring as shit. Why would we do that? I don't I don't know. I wish I really did know. I just I don't want to just assume.
1: I have them. a feeling they tried to like punch it up and make it edgier for teens or some bullshit. I'm sure that's what it is.
0: Well, I, I do know that one of the people that took over was one of the executive producers from Nickelodeon, um, who stepped in right and so that makes me a little hesitant you know there that the, the those people in the sort of head office often make revisions that we're not kind of happy with and i think part of i think part of at least what Sarah is saying and one of the reasons why i'm I, I don't feel as as great about it is that we've seen other work you know from them voltron right uh the uh the little is it the Little Prince, the Dragon Prince, the Dragon Prince. One of the um, writers uh, is involved was involved with Dragon Prince is great, mm-hmm. and so is Voltron. I mean, I, I and I think there's a sort of sensibility with those other projects that that that's that's a I don't know a stamp of theirs that we like, mm-hmm. right? And the, and and the fear I think is that that won't exist. How much live action have they done? Should we have any confidence in their ability to?
2: Like produce, executive produce a live action show.
0: Maybe, maybe, but the, it's the writing that I think is most important in um in those other two series. You know what I mean?
1: I am ready to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, me too. Yeah,
0: it's the way they can pull off a joke. It's it's the haiku battle that Saka has. You know those moments.
3: I, I I hesitate with those kind of things because that's why. I'm almost like, do make it something completely different. And then I can just either laugh at it or enjoy it in some weird way. But I, I just love animation so much. I'm like, why does it have to be live action? Like, why, why is that? I feel like a lot of times we think it's like a higher art form for some reason, Mm -hmm. or it's like when it's, when like a book is live action, it's like the final version. It's like, this is the definitive version now or something. And I feel like some parts of animation, like the haiku battle, that would be so awkward in live action. Or what? like the cabbage man. I, I'm just like, that, that's going to be a creepy old man with some
1: cabbages. Like, <laughs> it's or just like, going to be weird. Can you imagine live action Boomy? Yeah,
3: like oh. nobody wants
1: to see that.
2: Yeah, it, it's just, there's so much in it that, especially the gags, like it doesn't, doesn't translate the way. You you could you could adapt it, but you can't translate it. So that's why I really just want them to try and remix it. I I wish I knew what the creators' like vision was. Did they want to stick as close as they could? Did they want to remix it? Did, what what were they expecting from it? And we'll never know.
0: No, I think they're gonna stay tight-lipped forever. Boomy's best line is when he says, "Let us leaf," when he yeah. he's,
3: he's eating the lettuce. <laughs> I like when he says, he's like, I just like messing with people. I'm like, yeah. i really resonate with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, let's end on an uplifting note, right? Ang didn't kill Ozai. It did not. That. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Pub is produced on that series of tubes we all know as The Internet, from the studios at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. You can listen in on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, where we post new episodes every Monday. You can also find us at straylightmag.com, where we publish new poetry, stories, art, and, of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at The Pub Podcast on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing.